You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, let me read from our text. We're going to read verse 11 through verse 19. It kind of doesn't look like a stopping point. We're kind of midway through when we get to verse 19, but um, I think we're going we're gonna to look at this as a section and then, and then move on from there next week. So let's start at Judges 2, verse 11 in God's word. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Let me pray for us again. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you again that we have your word open before us. And we have these particular verses, 11 through 19, to study and to think on for the next 30, 40 minutes or so. Lord, would you guide our thinking and our study? May this not just be an academic exercise to understand Israel of old, but may we take it to heart. May we learn from it to be pointed to our great wanderings and our great turning asides, our great abandonment of You when You offer the fountain of life and we're content with dirty water drinking somewhere else. So Lord, move in our hearts, move in this place, this particular geographic location here in Leroy this morning for those online that join us that can't be here. We just pray that You would move amongst us by Your Spirit through your good and holy and upright and lasting word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if marriage, if marriage is a picture and a parable of the relationship of Christ and his bride and marriage is this parable, what we've got in the book of Judges is an adulterous affair. And it's 
an affair of those that God had brought for him, bought for himself, and yet they've abandoned. Israel has abandoned their husband, if you will, the Lord, for another, another Lord, another husband, really. And all too often in, in our sin, we choose to live in that momentary pleasure and we abandon the God of our salvation, believing that the lie that the sin will grant, that that sin will give us delight. The Lord won't give that to us. The sin will. And so we want to rejoin the story of Israel here and just look through these verses. This next generation who did not know their God or His works. And so look again at verse 11 where it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. What's interesting here, I think we have in a nutshell this book in miniature. This section even that we're in, this is the book of Judges in small form, at least a majority of it. This phrase, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, not the last time we'll see this in this book. It comes up um, chapter 3, couple times chapter 4 chapter 6 chapter 10 chapter 13 and there's this formula that this kind of this begins they did what was evil this formula begins in this book these cycles that we've talked about already you could label them different ways but something like Israel does evil they're oppressed oppression comes on them or the enemy whatever plunderers they cry out in their distress there's deliverance And then as the judge dies or time passes, they go right back to the beginning and it starts all over again. This is going to feel like in the months ahead as we study this, like like this is a rerun. We've seen this before. But hopefully as that repeats in this rerun, we continue to learn uh, about our Lord and these cycles, even, even in our own lives, and God's gracious provision in Christ. A word about um, the Baals, though, here. You've got, you've got the word in verse 11, they served the Baals. And then verse 13, you've got the Ashtarot. I just want to, just a little bit to highlight uh, what are these, because we, we kind of just jump into this, just what, what was this. And so I'm going to lean on some, some commentaries here. One says of the Baals, it's, it's plural in your scriptures. You've got a plural Baal. It says the use of a plural form here does not indicate a large number of different Canaanite gods. Rather, it refers to various local manifestations of the same storm and fertility god Baal, or Baal, maybe pronounce it that way. These local manifestations, there's different cities, you'll, Baal, uh, Perot, uh, something like that, I, I don't, can't list them all, but there's different places. So what they're saying here, same same God, if you will, little g, little g, same idol, uh, non-God, but that they worshipped, but various local places. Um, they say here, gods were generally tied to local sites, high places, shrines. And another commentary says, the god of the, Baal is the god of the storm and the rains, and therefore the controller of vegetation. Hold that in your mind. He, you know, apparently, right, the rains are from Baal. So, Keep that close here. The other one listed in verse 13 is Ashtaroth or Ashtaroth. That's the other kind of God at least named here. It's called a, they call him, him, him a, or her, I should say, a goddess, a consort of Baal. Like a, I mean, I've got to look up the word consort, but like a, like, a, like a spouse, a partner 
of Baal, so kind of like working hand in hand. Ashtaroth is the goddess of love. And so all of what you can imply in that, I think, is in the Canaanite, this pantheon, you know, these gods that they had, these, these gods of love. But she's a goddess of war and fertility. And so another, another dictionary talks about the Astra saying this, the fertility aspect of the Canaanite gods was an inviting snare to the Israelites. New to farming and having just settled in Canaan after a generation of nomadic life in the desert, the Israelites were particularly tempted to serve the gods said to control the fertility of that land. That makes sense. I mean, that's their, their need seems to be, we need good crops. And so they go in these places. They go on to say, many of the Israelites practiced a syncretistic religion. That's a big word, but I think it's really important. What, what that is, they go on to say, mixing elements of Baalism with worship of Yahweh. I don't think we can look at them as just going, oh, forget the Lord, we're just going to go with the Baals. He's better. I think they're saying, well, we'll hold on to what's good with this. That's syncretism. We like this aspect of this, and then we'll take like a buffet of God. You know, We'll take the best of this, put it on our plate. That's what we're going to do. And for Yahweh, that is not okay. That's not acceptable. There is only one God. And so there's this syncretism, this mixing going on. Okay, now look at verse 12. And lo and behold, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who are around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. I think verse 12 is a huge statement on the state of affairs of Israel. This is the God and it's brought out here. This is the God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. That's the God they're abandoning. They abandoned the God of power and might who had been with Israel this whole time. We look at that and go... How could this be? But that's what they abandoned, this one who had brought them out. They're also, though, they're abandoning this covenantal God. So not only do they abandon God who had delivered them, but they abandoned the covenant with the Lord. The, the wording here, th- this wording, the God um, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. I see here, I think it's shorthand for saying this covenantal God. He had made promises. Exodus 20, verse 2, where God says, you know, they've come out of, of, of slavery, um, about to, we're going to hear from God on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And he says, I am the Lord your God. Here's, our, here's Judges. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And it's this, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. This covenantal arrangement. So this was not an impersonal God of the land, some other land. This is a God who chosen, he loved his people, and he brought them into this land. And yet, verse 12 says, they bowed down to the gods of this particular land, the gods around them. So Israel did not have to search very far for a replacement God, little g. 
They were all around them. Remember, they, they allowed the Canaanites to stay. They didn't fully destroy them. Forced labor, they didn't fully drive them out. And so permeates the land these snares to Israel. False gods surround them. I think it's, it's really no different today. We live among a culture in sin. We, we live among our own heart that wrestles with the flesh and the new spirit in Christ. And we live among it in our culture around us. So what do we do? I mean, do we run to the hills? Do we hide from it? In some ways, we can't run far enough. We can't go. Martin Luther tried to be a, tried to be a monk. It didn't work. He still found his sin in his cell. We can't run away from it. But, but we must take heed of our surroundings to, to think about where we're at and what's going on, what's surrounding us in our life. There's a movie you may have seen. I won't mention the title of it, but it's, I mean, pick your, it's CIA guy or something like that, some, some history, whatever. This guy has been trained to go into a place, and when he steps into a building, which I think is one of the coolest things, and I've, I've tried it before, but it doesn't work all that well, well, a little bit. You go into a building, and he was taught to uh, take account of the situation around him. You know, and, and it suddenly, I think the movie shows, you know, he goes like, yeah, security guard here, there's a, there's a gun back here, there's this going here. Like, he's just created, you know, just kind of made to just take stock of this whole room and figure out what's going on. In a similar way, I think the call here is for us to be that kind of guy, to look around and go, look at what is surrounding me in the culture that is beginning to influence me. We're talking about some of that in Sunday school. What is surrounding and what's going on? Where am I being drawn to other little g gods? Maybe they're not called Baals. It would be the god of the self or media or, or work or, or money. What it, fill in the blank. Where am I being drawn around? And to be on the lookout for those threats. And so we ought to look around and beware. But a question here for, for me that I'm asking of the text and of, of the people of Israel is, is why? This, this God that had brought them out, why are they just suddenly heading down for other gods that will not satisfy? They will let them down and they, they will lead them into much, much trouble. What was so tempting to the people of Israel that they would abandon the God who had provided for them? So what makes Baal, what makes Ashtaroth a superior God to their Lord, to Yahweh? Um, I think of three things, but could be more, whatever. One, I think, is the appeal for the present physical need. Their present physical needs. Israel, an agricultural nation in this land, as we thought about with with Baal and, and fertility and rains and all that sort of thing, rains were needed for crops to grow, and if, well, if this God is supposedly the God of those rains... Well, it kind of pragmatically, like, this will work for now. Let's just follow him and let's do what we can to sacrifice, whatever, bow down to that God because that's what we want. It's like the God of, well, here's what I presently need, so I'll take whatever I want. Yeah, I guess we're not prone to that, right? Uh, present, my present needs outweigh serving the God who has led you all along the way. And should you, should you reach famine, he will continue to provide. That's one thought. Number two, 
uh, just forgetfulness. That's all over uh, God's, uh, even His warnings to them. But they just simply did not remember. They didn't keep before them the knowledge of God, as we looked at last week, or remembering His works. Uh, One commentator, Dale Davis, he says, Amnesia produces apostasy. That's a cute little line, amnesia. Do you know what that is, kids? Amnesia, like forgetfulness. I don't remember. Amnesia produces apostasy, like falling away, seeking other gods, not following the one true God. Forgetting God produces falling away from God. He says this, when we allow either his, his quiet keeping or his dramatic rescue to slip into oblivion, we are on our way toward Baal. Good warning to, to remember. We remember in the supper, we remember what Christ has done. We, we gather once a week and we, we need more than once a week, don't we? We need daily those times of God's Word, remembering who He is in our lives because we're so quick to go astray. Number three, really just even deeper down, is they were led astray by deluded hearts. Deluded hearts. Um, Isaiah 44, you can write this down or look it up quick, but Isaiah 44, 19 through 20, it's kind, there's kind of a, this section here of, in Isaiah 44 about idols and the making of them. It's, it's, a, it's a good read. I mean, it just you come away from it going, why would anybody worship and bow down to a thing that was made, but the wooden thing? But in that, this is said in Isaiah 44, verse 19, It says, no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, that is, to the one that's made this kind of this wooden idol. So there's not knowledge to say, okay, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? And then it says this, He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? What's it comparing an idol to? A lie. The heart is deceived and says, no, this thing, this will work. This is what will do it. And the text in Isaiah 44 says, he feeds on ashes. And it's gone. Compare that to the Lord. So in essence, it's a heart issue. The heart is deceived into a lie that the gods of our own making can deliver us. And so Israel has quickly abandoned the Lord of their salvation. They've turned to the Baals, to the Ashtaroth, as verse 13 will show. Uh, Verse 13, they abandoned the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtaroth provoking the Lord to anger and a response. So now look at verse 14. Here's, here's the response of the Lord, verses 14 and 15. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. 
They're plundered. They're given into the hands of the enemy. And God had warned them in Deuteronomy a couple places. One, he said, he said take care lest you forget the Lord. As I think it's said multiple times through there. Another place in Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. God had given to them, He had provided for them, He had strengthened them, and He had also warned Israel. He had warned them. And He's angry. Some of you have looked a bull in the eye. I have not done that yet. Uh, But some of you have. I've only seen the cartoons. And when you see a bull in the cartoons, you see, how do you know the bull's angry? There's like this steam going, and I, I think there's something with the nostrils, right? The nostrils get bigger. That's what's going on with God and His anger. This word for anger here in verse 14 where it says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled. You might say His nostrils were showing that He was angry. The word for it is like, there's, it's like uh, literally you could say uh, the nose of the Lord burned in anger against Israel. Think of that bull that... There's anger going on in the Lord against His people. And so they're given to plunderers who plundered them. They're given into the hand of their enemies. And and verse 15 ends with Israel as we'll see time and again in terrible distress. Which is really where the place when we abandon the Lord, that's the place where we end up in distress. Terrible distress. The enemy plunders, oppresses, But then God delivers. Before we get to verse 16, just just notice again, I've kind of tried to, in my reading, I've I've mentioned it a little bit, but the use of the word hand here, is it in verse 14? Uh, Yeah, verse 14, kind of midway, he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies. And then verse 15, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them. Now look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Their God, this God whose nose was flared in anger, is the same God who acts in mercy toward His people. The Lord raised up judges who saved them. Yeshua. That, that where we get that, that Joshua, Yeshua, God saves, or Jesus, uh, ultimately from that, there's salvation of the Lord. He saved them. Look as well, let's see, that's verse 16. Look down to 18 just to get an idea of this, of this God. Uh, verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, again, so he's raising up these judges, they're in distress, they raise them up, The Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For, why? Because the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Now, this is not of my own, but just I'm helped by some commentators. Again, Dale Davis, and 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 he, he makes a connection here between the anger of the Lord. Hopefully, you can... 
there's anger here, and then there's this salvation here. Anger and salvation, like within a couple sentences of each other. And here's what he says. He says, the hand that is against them, verse 15, is nevertheless mysteriously for them, in verse 16. You see that? The hands, there's a hand against them, and then there's this hand for them. He says, here is the fundamental miracle of the Bible. That the God who rightly casts us down to the ground should, without reasons, stoop to lift us up. He goes on to say, I said without reason. If there is one, it can only be the depth of his compassion, which is another surprise. And then he points out that Israel, Israel groaned, but they, it doesn't seem like they repented. They were in terrible distress, but it's not like, oh, you're repentant, I'll come help you. They're, they're in distress, and what happens? God raises up judge. He's compassionate upon them. He says, God's heart is stirred by the sheer misery of his people. How it moves God, and he says, can we say it? Emotionally, to see his people, even his sinful people, crushed. And so we have this righteous anger of God. We can read it and see it and go, yes, he should be angry with them. They abandoned him. And yet we also see this undeserved mercy of God to deliver once again his people. And so one more quote of Davis. He says this of the anger and the love of God. He says, such anger should not surprise us. It is the price we pay for being loved. To have a God who loves His people is to have a jealous God. And to have a jealous God is to have an intolerant God. He loves His people and His anger comes to His people. Sometimes we as parents, we don't, we don't live this outright. In our, we've got unrighteous anger. But there's a righteous anger that says, of God, that says He is jealous for His people. And even before His people make that turn, He comes after them. And yet they face the distress and trial that their abandonment of Him led them to. And so God delivers His people Israel, delivers them compassion and grace through anger and trial. How those mix, this mysterious mixture of those. But over and over again, that's what God does out of His mercy to those who don't deserve His mercy. And He does it for their good and ultimately, you know, as the phrase, their good, His glory, His name's sake. And yet, as we see in verse 17, yet the people persist. We'll see that throughout the book. Verse 17, look at there. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Even though God had delivered them by the judge, the judges, the deliverance only lasted so long. And the whoring and the worship of these foreign gods continues. And so they, it says they, they soon or they quickly turn aside from the way of the Lord. 
One other commentator points out here, he says, The Israelites had short memories. And when the immediate crisis was over, they forgot both their earlier misery and the state of temporary repentance which it had induced. Their turning to the Lord was thus revealed as a superficial expedient. It may be that we can recall something similar in our own lifetime, either in the life of our, our nation, and he's talking about you know, the days of national prayer during the world wars of this century. I think even recent, just you know, days of prayer, calling out to the Lord. He says, or more pertinently in our own experience, how easy it is to use Almighty God as a kind of emergency crash aid service. Is that what the Lord is to you? Is He just is He an emergency plan? I got this this insurance card, and when things go south, I know I can always call on the Lord. That idea? Is He just this there to get you out of tight spots, maybe of health or stress, all to be forgotten when days are sunny again? We are too prone to do this. So look at verse 19 then. Finally here. It says, But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. We saw back in verse 12 that they had abandoned the Lord, and now in verse 19 it says they did not drop any of their practices. The NAS, NASB translates this drop. You've got an ESV reading drop. I um, can't remember the NIV, but uh, NASB says they did not abandon uh, any of their practices. They use the same word. Now, it's a different Hebrew word in verse 12 compared to verse 19, but I think the idea is still there. And it's interesting to me. In, in one case, they abandoned the Lord, and at the close, at least of verse 19, I know we're kind of in the middle of a of an English paragraph here, but at least here they fail to abandon or drop any of their deeds or stubborn ways. So, in essence, Israel is God's chosen people. They'd, they'd rather abandon their Lord. Think about this. And we look at it and go, well, that's not a good trade-off. They'd ab- rather abandon the Lord than abandon their stubborn ways and their, their idols and the, the worship of these foreign gods. And they abandon them for the one true God that can truly save and deliver them. I think two things must be dealt with as we think about this. One is the deluded heart, the deceived heart, the foolish heart, the corrupt heart. It must be dealt with. Along with the need here that we see, we need to find a lasting judge who will live who will not die so two things we've got we've got heart issues and we got we got judge issues and alas our hope is in the one he's the one that all scripture and redemptive history is pointing to jesus christ only one man would face the temptation to turn aside from god and yet he conquered sin he faced temptation and walked away from it That's Jesus. And only Jesus is our lasting and eternally incorruptible King and Deliverer who will never die. 
So today, as we think on this, once again we consider this, this mysterious way of God. Consider His anger towards a wayward bride. As I think we want to do throughout this book of Judges is to again just turn our eyes inward to our own hearts. Turn away from, we can look with disgust on Israel. How could they? And rather look to our own hearts. Lord, is this, is this me? Am I surrounded and I'm, am I giving ground to sin in some area of my life? Have I surrounded myself with temptations? Maybe it's my, the media right in front of me. Maybe it's my, my friend choices or anything, anything at all that I'm looking to to worship and I'm finding pleasure in that. If I can just get to, just get to the weekend, I'm living for the, the weekend, that thing, that will do it. Or that vacation, whatever it is, that the better house, on and on it goes. We need to examine where we're looking, where our worship is. And then also, turning from that sin, we turn back to the God who raised up the one eternal, incorruptible King, Jesus. I want you to go to Romans 6. For whatever reason, maybe it's just so so helpful when we think of these things, and we're we're thinking of the area I think of of, of our progressive sanctification here, our living our, our growing in holiness. We're made holy by the blood of Jesus, righteous with His righteousness, and yet we grow in that sanctification unto the Lord. And I think Romans six here is helpful. I'm going to read verses five and eleven, and Paul here is going to remind us of our identity in Christ. We have a sure hope here. And so if you're in Christ, if you've given your life to follow Him, He's your Lord and He's your Savior, we can read this passage with hope. So look at Romans 6, 5-11 through 11, as we think about just the, the, the deluded hearts, the call to worship God alone, our waywardness. Paul says here, verse 5, Romans 6, For if we have been united with Him, Christ, in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know, you know, we're just saying, this we know, what do we know? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Because that's what we are in our sin. We're slaves to it. Verse 7, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know, we know, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our old sinful nature wants to flip this around. That, that we're dead in Christ and our sin is alive and present. 
But this, for the believer, this is not the reality. The reality is you're dead to sin, you're alive to God in Christ. Grace is a reality for the believer. Mercy is reality. A new spirit within where God dwells with us, that's reality. God's given us His sheer grace. Not because we asked for it or, or even as we, because we came to Him first. He came to us in our sin. And in His jealous pursuit of His own, He called us to Himself in Christ by His Spirit. So hear the admonition today. Be not those people who have tasted the heavenly joys of salvation and then just quickly turn aside once again. And may God in His grace, may He once again just soften hearts that can harden, easily deceived hearts. May we see the adultery of sin and may we run and, and walk with Christ looking to our Deliverer, our incorruptible, our eternal Deliverer. Let me pray for us. Lord, verse 11, I pray would be something that we embrace the truth and reality of in your word. That we would consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That when we came to Christ, we died to that, that former man, that old man died. Why would we live there any longer? We had a house, a house of slavery to sin, and you freed us from that house. And you brought us to a new dwelling place where you are in Christ. Father, when we are tempted to go back to that house and open the door and enjoy the momentary pleasures of sin and worship of what is not you, may you send us help by your Spirit, by fellow believers, by your Word, that we would run, that we would not leave the God who has brought us out of our slavery in sin. So Lord, strengthen us for this. We need your help. And I pray, Lord, you'd reveal, reveal areas of sin surrounding us, sin in our own heart that needs to be dealt with. And help us, Lord, to give you glory and to honor your name as a, as a church, as a people. We pray this in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.